Welcome to the Cell Culture Dish podcast, New Lab Setup, Best Practices for a Successful Start. I'm Brandi Sargent, editor of the Cell Culture Dish. Joining me today is Dr. Anne Rossi Bellado, Senior Bioprocess Application Scientist, and Dr. Kat Seiler, Field Application Scientist. Both Anne and Kat are with Corning Life Sciences, and they are here today to discuss best practices for new lab setup. I'd like to start by asking about setting up a new lab and how it can feel overwhelming. Where would you start and what are the first steps? So I thought about this, breaking it down into maybe four steps. The first being, what do I need? What do I have? What can I borrow or share? And then also who will help me purchase? So in terms of what you need, you probably already done some of the work because you wrote a grant or you did your startup. So if you go through your aims, you can break those into experiments. The experiments break down into steps. And if you think about the reagents or equipment you need at every step, that will at least give you a framework of where to start. Another thing that I've got from some friends is that when they were moving into a space, they actually took pictures of everything as it was and then did some measurements as well. Because as you start to get more things or you start to do a little bit more shopping, it's helpful to know what things looked like previously and how much space you have to work with. Finally, I think it's also worth getting to know your administrators that will help you with the purchasing. There's a couple of benefits there. They may already have some contacts with vendors, or they can probably at least set you up for a more successful experience when it comes to the buying within the systems of your university or your institute. So that's my two cents. I agree, I think, mostly with everything that Kat said. I think it's important to really survey the space Taking pictures is a great idea. Uh, I hadn't thought of that. It's important to kind of consider those large pieces of equipment, biosafety cabinets, chemical hoods, refrigerators, freezers, incubators, because sometimes there's facility restrictions that might limit the placement of that equipment. It also might restrict where you can put other things in the lab and what tasks you can perform in certain areas. Also consider going through your grants. That's a great idea. And what types of experiments and what you'll kind of need. Also consider where the personnel is going to sit. Is there a need for desk space in the lab or computer workstations? Or is that a separate area altogether? And do the tasks require kind of sitting or standing benches? It's also how the space is going to be used. Maybe there's areas that are good to be dedicated to specific common tasks, uh, such as a a bench for measuring chemicals and preparing solutions uh, or other common tasks. But really getting in the space and serving it, that would be my sort of number one place to start. I think that's really great advice because I think anytime that you're setting up any kind of a room, whether it be in your home or a lab or any kind of space like that, really mapping out where you can place everything and how much room you have is really important. I'm curious, how do you decide who should be involved in the new lab planning and setup? I know that probably in some situations, a lot of people want to weigh in, but who are really the best people to involve in the process? That's a tough question because I think sometimes there are people that get involved in the decision-making that you didn't know would be, especially if you're moving into a space that's being renovated. Maybe you have your institute or your university's facilities crew weighing in or even the contractors. So there can be some unexpected voices in there. But 
I think the best and most useful voices to you are probably those from your networks. There's a ton of decisions that new PIs have to make. And so it's a really good time to involve the other new PIs at your institute if there are other onboarding professors. Or even if they've been there for a few years, they probably picked up a few things along the way that are going to be pretty useful. And especially if they're already at your institution, they might know of any quirks of your building or any systems that are in place. But I think sometimes professors don't consider is really using your vendors. So there's a whole slew of benefits that they can offer, and I'm sure we'll get into it more later, but you should be prepared to put those vendors to work for you because no one's more familiar with their products than they are. There's obviously going to be a lot of input, you know, and I do strongly believe that all personnel working in the lab should have some sort of input how that space is going to be set up um, because they're going to be the ones working in that space. There's nothing worse than trying to run a protocol in a space that was designed by somebody that has absolutely no idea what you're trying to do in that space. It can be can be ergonomic challenges, it can be a whole disaster. But I do think there needs to be at least one person, whether that's the lab manager or the PI, that is actually taking the lead on distilling down all that information from everyone's feedback to keep things organized and on track because there will be a lot of opinions. You know, some things such as facilities restrictions might have higher weight than, say, some other conveniences when you're designing the new space. That's a great point about involving the suppliers because you're right, they are super familiar with all of the different pieces of equipment that might go in a lab, but they've also seen a ton of labs and setups and probably provide some good feedback in terms of what has worked in other spaces too. So I think that's a really great tip. This is always a question that comes up in most situations in lab. It always feels like there's never enough room. So how would you recommend the best way to maximize lab space when you're setting up a lab? So I actually considered this kind of through the lens of safety because if you have similar safety restrictions for certain equipment or certain reagents, it might make sense to have zones for those things. And so then you've got that similar precaution. It makes it easier for people to comply. And depending on what it is, it could actually be a little bit more efficient. Of course, there might be limitations there. But I think one of the major things with various labs that I've been in is that you think about pieces of equipment that will see a lot of use. And so you need space for people to actually navigate around those pieces of equipment so they don't all have to wedge into the corner. And some universities might actually have a common area for things like larger equipment. And I actually mentioned that earlier. When you're designing your space, large equipment should probably be your first consideration. And so if you do have those larger pieces of equipment, think if there are any spaces within your existing facility where maybe all of those larger things could kind of be commonly grouped together. It's not uncommon to see maybe a room full of minus 80 freezers or some of the larger, noisier things so that you can maximize your individual lab space a little better. I would agree 100% with all of that. I had forgotten about those kind of common spaces for departments to house those large equipment. Maximizing lamp space can kind of look like a lot of different things. I think it really means to most scientists is to have a functional space. And so however that looks for each specific lab, 
And Kat even mentioned things should be efficient. It should be an area that you can work efficiently for performing your protocols or whatever task it is. And again, that looks different for every lab and every task, but function is really the utmost importance. So I think you kind of create those workspaces, whether it's grouped by zones of different safety restrictions, and then you fit the rest of the things in and around them, like the storage and that sort of thing, because efficiency and function is the most important. That's really good advice. Along with the discussion around equipment, equipment is the most expensive purchase for a new lab. What advice do you have for staying within budget when you're setting up a new lab and purchasing equipment and all the other items that need to go into that? I think equipment is definitely one of the bigger dollar signs on the list of someone that's starting Mm -hmm. up a lab. So it's a really good opportunity to potentially borrow or share. You know your work and you know how often you need to use something. And science is really collaborative. So in my own time at the bench and and traveling with Corning, I think the norm is to see several labs that are sharing some piece of equipment. So it might be like PCR machine, spectrophotometer, and there's always some leftover equipment lingering in the department. So it's a good time to ask, how important is this equipment to me? How precise or how sensitive do I need it to be? Because if you need a hot plate stir like every now and then to make a buffer, something that has a little bit of dust on it might be okay. But if you need something that must have an exact temperature, then it might be time to invest in something um, like a new digital. But if you do have to purchase equipment, you can really put those dollars to work scoring along with other vendors, have new lab bundles. And so if you purchase some equipment, some of that money can probably go towards more regular use things like iPads or flasks or, or whatever you need in your day-to-day. I would just like to add on to Kath's comments. Sometimes a piece of equipment might be the real workhorse of the lab. It might be worth the investment to actually get a new piece of equipment. I'd also like to add from experience, don't forget the service contracts and any sort of preventative maintenance plans because you might think, oh, this will save some money now, but in the end, it might actually end up costing more in terms of actual repair costs and even worse yet, lost time and lost experiments. And also consider if your institution has different cores, so whether you can maybe use a core facility for different kinds of equipments for specific experiments and pay as you go might help you save some money up front until you really need your own equipment. I guess my last piece of advice would just be don't be penny wise and pound foolish. Really consider the equipment as an investment. So maybe the cheaper choice looks good because it saves you some money now, but it might lock you into some specific capabilities And down the road, you might need to purchase a completely different piece of equipment or a costly upgrade to add on to that as your experiments and your research goals change. So maybe consider upfront a more expensive, flexible option, something that's kind of modular that you can update and upgrade as your research goals change. I think that's all really good advice. And I I really like the idea of borrowing and using uh, a core lab for things that you don't need to necessarily have in your own lab. And it's a great way to be able to save money and uh, to be able to really stretch that equipment budget. 
I want to follow up with a similar question, but this time on consumables. Any tips or advice on um, being able to stay within budget when purchasing all the consumables to start up a lab? I think the thing to focus on with consumables would just be the things that are unique to your work. And I say that because if you happen to run a little bit low on tissue culture flasks or maybe some pipettes, maybe your neighbor down the hall can lend you a couple until you order some in. So focus on the really core products that you know no one else on your floor or no one else on in your building is going to be able to lend you. And from there, you can build it out. I would also keep in mind that whatever you order, sometimes you can have a promotional deal. So you know that you're going to get two cases right away and maybe you'll have another coming later. Just don't forget that you've taken advantage of that promotion. Don't forget about what's coming a little bit later after your initial purchase. And then that way you won't suddenly have a bunch of boxes with nowhere to put them. I just have to add that I'd give the same kind of advice as for purchasing equipment. And that's if you need to purchase a slightly more expensive consumable that will get you more consistent data and ease your workload or your cells are going to be happier for your experiments, for lack of a more scientific way of saying it. That's, I think, where you want to be long term. It, it does no good to kind of cheap out on your consumables um, when, you know, in the end you have lost experiments, you just have to repeat you're looking for consistent data and convenience and efficient work. I think that's really true. And one of the things that you mentioned too, I think about promotions, that's a really good point. If you find something that you know you're going to be using on a regular basis and and you kind of stock up, that can be a really good thing. But you also have to make sure you know where you're going to be able to put it and store it. So that's a good point. I think whatever materials get the best results, it's oftentimes worth making the investment up front, even if it costs a little bit more money to save time down the road, which is more precious a lot of times than money in terms of experiments. One issue I hear all the time when we're talking about lab setup is overbuying. Again, kind of going back to this whole consumables and possibly taking advantage of big promotions. How do you balance overbuying and being well stocked? And are there certain things that you would recommend in terms of managing that balance? It's a good time to put your vendor to work. So it's it's something that I mentioned earlier. Your vendors can provide you some insight here with regard to how long it takes to get something. You know what's core to your work, the things that are really unique. And a good thing to do is to ask your vendor, hey, does this have any lead time associated with it? Does it make sense to stock up on one thing versus another thing, which, nope, always an inventory, don't worry about it. You can have less of that on hand. So it's a time for you to know your products. And if you don't, then put your vendor to work and they can point you in the right direction. I just have kind of a generic comment about stocking the lab. What is well-stocked is different for every lab, depending on the type of work. And so I think Kat's suggestion to rely on your vendor on lead time on certain products and that type of thing really is a great place to start. And also just sort of a general At the get-go, when the lab is kind of established and getting set up, 
the lab needs to kind of decide who does the ordering and how often that's going to happen. What is considered common stock for everyone's use and what is application or person specific and whatever that plan on how you're going to manage the lab stock and lab inventory, really um, implement a policy and a timing quantity of ordering and stick with that plan. Because as we know, sometimes there are products that are a little uh, at a, a hot commodity that are more difficult to get you never want to run into a situation where you have to halt experiments because someone thought somebody was doing in the ordering and it really was somebody else and, and that kind of thing. Just decide upon a policy up front and stick with it. But I really like the idea of partnering with your suppliers and your vendors because I think there's a lot of great opportunity to work together. And sometimes people may not think immediately about doing that. They may think more of just placing these orders but there is some real opportunity for some synergy working together and the, the suppliers and vendors can really help, I think, in a lot of areas that you've mentioned. So I think that's a really good tip. Lab safety is what I want to shift to talking about. It's always a concern. I'm wondering if you have any tips when setting up your lab that can ensure the best safety practices. In my own experience, we had a shared space of two large labs, and there were three PIs worth of personnel there. And especially in an academic facility, it's just a revolving door. There's postdocs coming in, there are summer students, rotation students, and so there are always new people and maybe new to the equipment that's in there. So what we did was to appoint someone as the guardian of a given piece of equipment or maybe in an area. I was the guardian of the cryostat. So anytime a new user needed to work on that, I took some time to walk them through it, show them how to clean it up. More challenging when it's pretty sparsely populated. You might be the only person in your lab to start. But eventually, as you start to fill in those personnel, I think assigning someone in charge of those pieces of equipment or, or particular areas, puts the responsibility on them. And so then you can be sure that whoever is using it, they have an in how it should work. Yeah, I would just like to add on to Kat's comments that a general kind of safety steward for, you know, whether it's a specific piece of equipment or a different safety policy um, is great to kind of appoint for the lab. Um, and that's someone that can train others on the different tasks and policies. And then also take cues from your institution um, and follow their institutional guidelines for biohazard safety and chemical hygiene. And usually those departments will have personnel that can help you define what's necessary for your lab to work safely for both personnel safety and then also general labs equipment safety. That's really good advice. And one of the things that came up just now in the lab safety piece is proper training. Lab training is key to making sure the lab runs efficiently. What should training look like for a new lab? And when do you recommend scheduling it? I think training is an always evolving process, and it's something that everyone that works in a lab probably has to do at some point, especially if you're in an academic setting. I think that the more set up that you are, the better your trainees can see and visualize what you're teaching them. Because if you're able to actually see and feel the switches to hit or the buttons to push or not to push, that's what's really effective. I would note that that's an ideal world. And so even on my team right now, we're having to work through teaching people how to use things remotely. So that's where some technology pieces can come into play, where you can kind of interact with photos. 
But eventually, if your people are allowed to be there and you start to populate, if you have a lab manual, that could be a really great tool. And it's probably something that might develop over time. So I don't know that there is a time that you train people. I think it continues. So with a lab manual, you can even make that electronic. And if you want to take it a step further, you can develop quiz questions to go along with that document to make sure that your trainee is really grasping those concepts. That doesn't all have to be brand new material because Lord knows a new PI has enough to do. So I would look for companies whose product that you're using, look at what they have available in terms of teaching material, and you can pull it from there. The reason I thought of that is because we have a bunch of on-demand webinars on basic cell culture techniques and a lot of other basic introductory lab things. So even though you have a lot of teaching, you don't have to be developing all that material de novo. I think the general kind of lab procedure book is great to keep on hand because training should be ongoing. It's especially important for labs with a lot of turnover that you have continuity of protocols and things. And those protocols that are written down, that's a great way to to get that done. And also to have subject matter experts on specific tasks do that training for people. It sort of helps with the continuity. And then also when it comes to training, don't forget the administrative tasks and maintenance tasks, such as placing orders or replacing the CO2 cylinders for your incubators. And then also the safety procedures. Sometimes those things sort of go by the wayside because One person was taking care of it and then all of a sudden that person leaves and you think, oh, well, uh, I I don't think anyone actually knew how to do the ordering or who's replacing those incubator cylinders. So a booklet is definitely a good way to, to keep track of all those types of things in addition to your lab protocols. I'll make sure in the show notes to put the links to the resources that you mentioned. Lastly, do you have any advice for staying in budget on on time with lab setup overall? We've talked about some specific areas, but overall, are there any tips or tricks that you might recommend for people to just make sure that they're staying within their budget and also within their timeline? I think the biggest piece of advice there is to use your vendors. That includes distributors like Fisher or Vontor, whoever you, your university or your institution has, as well as individual companies like Corning. And the other thing, there are a ton of different choices for a lot of different products. So tell your vendor what's really important to you. If it's price or if you really need a certain brand, as Anne mentioned before, sometimes paying a little bit more might get you farther down the road. Let them know what's really important to you and then let them present the best options based on that. And so then you can use new lab programs to your advantage. Have them do a little bit of the work for you. They can present you a nice list and then whatever you purchase can get you some products down the line. And the better relationship you have with that vendor, once you're up and running, if you need to stock up on something, they might be able to point you to a good promo they have going on. So it definitely is to your benefit to get to know the people that are providing the things you use on a daily basis. Yeah. And I think also just in terms of, you know, once you, assuming a lab is starting from scratch from time zero, as soon as you have a place to store the items, start ordering the basics for your lab stock for basic tissue culture, centrifuge tubes, flasks, et cetera. And as Kat has mentioned earlier, 
that's how you can you can really rely on the vendor to tell you what, you know, oh, where should I be ordering this now and giving guidelines for how to stock the lab. And then it's just also plan, plan and plan uh, before starting. Don't just start ordering equipment and your supplies. Really kind of know what you want out of the space and what you're going to be doing um, in terms of functions. And then you can start ordering and filling in. Plan ahead. I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really think that this is so helpful and such an interesting discussion for people who are feeling overwhelmed or just trying to figure out where to get started in setting up a new lab. Is there anything else that you'd like to add for listeners today before we say goodbye? I would say to not let the fatigue of making all these decisions and and making all these plans, don't let that put a shadow over the excitement that you should have about having your own lab because it's just such a ridiculous journey to get there. And there are great resources to help you with all of the logistics So just use those and don't forget what you've achieved because that's amazing and you should be really proud of yourself. I think in closing, I just would like to reiterate some points we've already talked about is to get in the space and really think about how you're going to be using it and what tasks you'll be performing. Because above all, a productive lab really needs a functional workspace. Don't stress about it. As Kat mentioned, try not to be overwhelmed. Just get in there, think about what you're going to be doing. Remember that your lab doesn't have to be set up the same way as whatever lab you've been in before. Really tailor this space to fit your needs. There's not really any one right way to do it. That's really great advice. And again, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Cell Culture Dish podcast. To learn more about this and other stem cell and biomanufacturing related topics, please visit us at www.cellculturedish.com or for downstream biomanufacturing topics, www.downstreamcolumn.com.